you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Right now, we turn our attention to COVID-19 and the very latest. Joining us from UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital, Dr. Annabelle de St. Maurice. She's assistant professor of pediatrics and is an infectious disease specialist. Dr. de St. Maurice, great to have you back with us on AirTalk. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk first about California announcing that it's making available booster vaccines for everyone 18 and over. This is the first time I recall during the pandemic where California has gotten out a bit in front of the CDC, though the CDC recommendation for that is expected to come soon. Your thoughts about the state announcing this today? I think this is good news. It, it, you know, it's not very hard to uh, make a justification for getting the booster. You know, the CDC requirements or recommendations were fairly uh, open so that if anyone perceived they had an increased risk of having COVID or being exposed to COVID, then they were allowed to get it without having to show documentation or proof. And I think California is just being a little bit more transparent and saying, you know, flu season is coming, the holidays are coming. Let's try and get as many people protected as possible. Well, and and again, it, it's likely that the CDC will make this recommendation. Uh, Pfizer is already um, apparently you know turned in the paperwork mm-hmm. uh, to try and get the FDA and then the CDC to do this. What's your recommendation for people who you you think should make a priority of of getting the booster? Is is it the you know same groups that that it's been recommended before? Would you extend it to some others? I would extend it to some others. You know, I've had some questions from friends and family members who are traveling for the holidays and they might be around elderly individuals or individuals who have chronic medical conditions. And I think many of us have those family members or friends in our lives and we want to make sure we aren't transmitting to them, even if we've had two doses. So I typically recommend it for just about anyone. We know it's safe and we know it's effective. So Um, I think it's really important that we all get out there and do our part, especially with the holidays coming. 
All right. I'd love to hear your questions for Dr. Annabelle de St. Maurice, UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital. We're at 866-893-KPECC. You can email us at uh, atcomments at kpecc.org. Please include your location and your first name. We would appreciate that. 866-893-KPECC. To none of our surprise, the fully vaccinated rate in California California has dropped precipitously because now we have included in that statistic kids 5 to 11 years old who are now eligible for Pfizer vaccination. So we've dropped from 73 to 66 percent full vaccination because uh, all these kids are now included in that eligible number. Uh, what are you seeing as, as a pediatric specialist uh, in the way of parents getting their kids vaccinated? I've been really impressed with the amount of interest in uh, getting kids 5 to 11 vaccinated. I've talked to a lot of people who are really excited about it. Um, And from what I understand, in some locations, it's actually hard to get an appointment. Um, So the response, at least in L.A., has been really positive uh, generally. 866-893-KPCC or ATcomments at kpcc.org. One of the uh, home tests for COVID-19, Loom, uh, I believe is the the name of the company, mm-hmm. uh, has recalled its tests uh, because of uh, false positives and the high rate of false positives. Um, you know, what can you tell us generally about the state of home testing? Yeah, it really varies depending on the test. I think, you know, the the thing about uh, these home tests is they're often these antigen tests um, that are kind of like a pregnancy test. And for that reason, they're less sensitive uh, and less specific than our PCR tests, which are the ones that you typically get done at a doctor's office or a hospital. And so for that reason, you can have what are both false negatives and false positives. And the false positives, you know, that they saw with the Illum test was people who didn't have COVID and then tested positive, which can have some consequences. You know, some of those people might miss work because they think they have COVID or they might try and get therapies to treat COVID, even though they don't have it. So um, these tests have definitely play a role in fighting the pandemic because it, it is hard still to get the PCR test. But it's important when you're purchasing a test to make sure that you look at the FDA website to make sure it's not one that uh, you know has issues with the accuracy of the test. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Annabelle D. St. Maurice, UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital, joining us to answer your questions at 866-893-KPCC. Carol in the San Gabriel Valley emails us, if it's been over a year since you received your Johnson & Johnson vaccine, can you get a Pfizer or Moderna as a booster? If so, would it be one or two doses? Yeah, this is a great question. Actually, it's now recommended if it's just been two months since you received that first dose of Johnson Johnson that you get a booster. And I recommend that you get either the Moderna or the Pfizer booster, uh, either one of them, um, as opposed to the J&J, we think that the second dose of J&J may be slightly less effective than the mRNA vaccines. But if for some reason 
you know, you can't get one of the mRNA vaccines, then the J&J is definitely better than nothing. So I would highly recommend that you get that booster dose as soon as possible. And and she's wondering about whether she should get, if she gets an mRNA vaccine, mm-hmm. should she get two doses of that? What would, in essence, so, and I don't know whether she's thinking like, perhaps a, a full Moderna dose followed by a half Moderna or, you know, I guess there are a variety of permutations she could consider. Right, right. Right now, it's just recommended that you get one dose of either the mRNA vaccine. So you don't need to get two doses. Of course, you know, as you know, everything changes during the pandemic, but just one dose is recommended. The Moderna dose that you would get would be a half dose of the um Moderna, that's what's recommended for the booster dose. Rochelle in Los Angeles says, I'm scheduled for my booster with Moderna today, but I'm hearing uh, some people go back and forth on whether getting the booster dose, which uh, has half of what's in the, the regular dose of Moderna, or getting a full regular dose. Do you have a recommendation? Unfortunately, I don't have more information as to Rochelle's age or or other mm-hmm. factors that might play into making that decision. Yeah. And so the, the thing about these doses is if um, Rochelle or, you know, anyone in general is immunocompromised, it's recommended if they get an additional dose that they get that full dose of Moderna. But if you're otherwise healthy and don't have problems with your immune system, or you have um, your elderly or uh, chronic medical conditions, Um, Those are the people who get the half dose. The full dose is really for those who are immunocompromised. And um, there's good data demonstrating that that half dose in people with normal immune systems really boosts their immune response. So it really depends um, on your health situation. So I would, um, if you have questions, talk to your doctor and look at the CDC webpage to see if you qualify for what's called a booster dose, the half dose, or a supplemental dose, which is the full dose uh, for the immunocompromised people. It gets a little tricky. It does. So I totally (laughs) understand why people are confused. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Sherry in West Hills says, I got my second vaccine in March, but then got a breakthrough case of COVID in August. Should I wait uh, or should I take an antigen test before getting a, a booster shot? Yeah, and this is a question that we get quite frequently. Uh, We do know that, um, you know, for example, in the pediatric study that was just recently released uh, by Pfizer, that 10% of people who got um, the vaccine, that study did um, have, uh, or almost 10% already had COVID, and they still saw that it was safe and effective. And and we are seeing that people who have had COVID and get um, the vaccine are, are still being protected and not having any safety issues. So I would probably, you know, it's been a few months since you had COVID. Um, I would consider getting it before the holidays, certainly talk to your doctor beforehand, but we haven't seen any serious side effects in those who've had COVID recently and get the booster. The only thing is if you get it, you know, within like a month, you might have a little bit more fever and muscle aches, but 
um, there's really no serious side effects to getting it after you've been infected. Some of our uh, other physician experts that we've had on, Dr. de St. Maurice, have, have said that it appears that uh, as quickly as three months after having had COVID, you can see a, a decrease in the protective uh, effect of, of the antibodies from having had a, a COVID infection. Um, what's, what's your sense, if you were looking at an ideal time frame post-COVID to get a shot, would you think three months would be ideal or it doesn't matter? I think the challenge is if you say wait three months and then, you know, it's uh, three months out and we're seeing a spike in cases, you're getting your booster then, then you might be, you know, you waited too long. Vulnerable. Exactly. So I hate to say, you know, wait three months. I think my uh, concern is with the holidays, you know, we've seen a little bit of an increase in cases in some parts of California, people are traveling from areas in the country where there's higher rates. So I think it really kind of depends on uh, your risk factors. But typically, I don't see a downside to, to getting the booster, even if it's, you know, I guess if it was August, you know, it's only a few months It'd out. It'd be about three um, months, actually. Yeah, because yeah. we're, we're in November. So, right. so Sherry <laughs> would believe. be in that window anyway. Yes. Um, as long as we're on this topic, let, let's spend a moment on what's called natural immunity. And this is whatever protective effect someone gets from having had COVID-19 versus vaccination. Because we get this question a lot. There is a perception some people have that, that the protection afforded by having had had COVID is somehow better than what you get from the vaccine. But the studies that we've talked about in these segments indicate that the protective effect of the vaccine seems to last significantly longer than that from having had COVID. What do you see in the research? Right. And that's very true. Uh, We see that there's a lot of variability when people get infected and that some people might have lasting immunity for longer and some people have it that lasts, you know, just about three months and then they might be prone to infection. What I always say is, you know, there are numerous studies demonstrating that people who have had COVID and get vaccinated have boosts in their immune response and that they tend to get infected less frequently than people who just had COVID and no vaccine. And because there are no safety issues associated with getting vaccinated after you've had COVID, that's why we highly recommend continuing to get vaccinated even if you've had an infection. All right. And again, just to mention what what you uh, said, because you get asked this a lot, I know, from from parents about, you know, for kids who've had uh, COVID, should they get vaccinated? And as you mentioned, that Pfizer study showed eight percent of kids uh, in that study uh, had had COVID and, and no negative side effects related to that. Right. And I think it's really important for for people to understand that because, you know, we we need to to make sure that we have long lasting protection and that we aren't relying on something that's short lived. And again, the, the side effects of getting vaccinated if you've had covid might just be a little bit more muscle aches and fever if it's recent infection. But typically, um, most people don't have differences in uh, side effects. 
Luke in Hollywood uh, uh, emailed us, although I've been pro-vaccine, I'm beginning to come to the realization enough is enough. The booster shots knock me out. I'm a healthy male, work as a pre-doctoral psychologist. The effect on my body is impactful for at least five days. I'm extremely reticent and verging on not taking any more boosters. We need to move on from this. Enough is enough. I'm I'm a little confused by this because the the call is only for one booster. So I don't know if Luke is talking about the second shot that's part of the uh, recommended interval for getting the two vaccines and then talking about a third. So perhaps Luke is saying that the second shot just wiped him out for five days and and he's not interested in a third. But um, I think, you know, the important thing in Luke's question is there are people who really uh, got knocked for a loop by their second shot. And so they're reluctant to get the booster. What what do you say to them, Dr. de Saint-Maurice? Well, I what I say is, you know, it it is true that you can have side effects like fatigue and headache and muscle aches after a, after the booster. And we know that. Um, but Unfortunately, if you get COVID as a breakthrough infection, you're also likely to have uh, those side effects and for them to be, or those symptoms and for them to be worse than with the vaccine. And then you're also going to have to isolate for 10 days if you do have a breakthrough infection. The other good news is, as I mentioned, the Moderna vaccine is half the dose. So it should, you know, theoretically have fewer side effects. So I think, you know, it's, it's a lot to ask for people to, to get a booster. And I, I get that it's difficult, but um, most people do really well with the boosters. And even, you know, anecdotally, people who I know who had problems with their second dose didn't have symptoms with the, with the booster dose. I, I have to say for myself, um, I had a Moderna booster my first two vaccinations were Moderna as well. And my booster, because getting that half dose, um, my side effects were considerably less than I had with the second shot because of that lower dosage. So, um, which was nice not to, ha- I had a headache, um, um, but, but in some fatigue, but, but it was certainly not the extent uh, with chills and all that I had with the second dose of it. So for those who haven't had it, um, if, if you're on the Moderna track or looking at a Moderna booster, that's just my anecdotal experience. For, and again, you know, everybody's different. Jeanette in Santa Clarita, good to have you with us. Your question, please. Good to be here. Um, my question is, when will our children's pediatricians have access to the vaccine? I tried to take my son to a pharmacist and he had a panic attack and I just, I feel he would be more comfortable with his own doctor. How how old's your boy, Jeanette? He's five. Okay. Um, That's a good question. And I know at least for some pediatricians offices, the challenge with that Pfizer vaccine that's approved is the ultra cold storage that it needs to be kept in. Dr. de St. Maurice, um, when might more pediatricians have it? Well, Jeanette, I'm sorry to hear about that your son uh, had that experience. I know that at UCLA, we are starting to provide it in some of our offices as soon as this weekend on Saturday. Um, and we're hoping to expand it. And as um, Larry mentioned, you know, one of the challenges is the temperature and then also just making sure that individuals know how to prepare the vaccine, administer it and watch uh, children after they've received it. 
but uh, most uh, pediatrician office, pediatricians offices should be offering it in the next few weeks. And certainly, you know, they're more uh, used to giving vaccines to children, so it should make it a little bit more comfortable for your son. All right, Jeanette, thanks. We wish you the best with that. And I remember originally Pfizer said that it was quite extreme how cold the storage had to be, and then they found it didn't have to be quite as cold. But um, so is, is it, it, it's more than just a, a frozen temperature, you know, like a typical freezer, right? Right. And there are, you can uh, leave it out for a little bit longer. They've done studies. But one of the other challenges is it's what's called a multi-use file. So when you draw the vaccines up, uh, you draw multiple vaccines from the same vial. And so that can pose problems because you don't want to have one kid coming in one day and then you throw the rest of the doses away. So a lot of pediatric offices are figuring out how to, to deal with that. All right. Uh, Genesis in Rancho Cucamonga uh, called and says, I'm a nurse at my hospital. We test everyone coming in the door for COVID. We're seeing more positives for asymptomatic vaccinated people coming in for non-COVID issues. Is this something happening across the board? Yes. And we do the same thing at UCLA where we test everyone who's coming in to the hospital for COVID regardless of symptoms. And if you think about it, since we're seeing more people get vaccinated, um, we are going to see more COVID cases in vaccinated people as breakthrough cases. And people who are vaccinated are less likely to have severe symptoms. So they come to the hospital for a broken arm, for example, you know, they may be asymptomatic without symptoms and test positive because, you know, they're protected from having serious illness. Anne in Altadena, good to have you with us on air. Talk your question, please. Oh, good morning. I have a 12-year-old granddaughter who had her first vaccination two months ago, and it was quite a panic when she got the first one, but she has always had all of her other vaccinations, no problem. Now she's refusing to get the second one um, because she's become very fearful, and I wonder how important is it that she has that second one? My daughter thinks maybe because she had her first one, she should be okay. Yeah, uh, this is a, another question we get a lot. Um, and I understand it's hard sometimes, especially with uh, children to convince them to get another shot um, if they've had some sore arms or other side effects, but it is really important to get that second shot. You know. The data demonstrate that if you've just had one shot, you're not as protected as if you've had two shots. So it is really important to try and encourage her to, to get that second shot. Um, and maybe there are things you can do afterwards and before to kind of prepare her. Things like, you know, giving her maybe a little bit of ibuprofen after she gets it or cold packs, that type of thing to try and reduce. Um, she had a sore arm, for example. And, and um, was it, what was it that um, she experienced after the first shot that was upsetting? She was fine after she finally got it. But I think all of the buildup to that vaccination and so much talk about COVID and masks and not masks and it's just got her having a panic about it. She wants to get it, but as soon as the needle comes near her, she just gets kind of hysterical 
and and now I'm worried it's been two months. Will her second shot be as effective? Yeah, Dr. de St. Maurice, is there any reason to think it would be less effective if she got the second shot now? No, there's no reason to think it would be less effective. Actually, some people think that waiting a little bit longer than three weeks um, between uh, the, those two Pfizer doses might actually improve immunity. So um, there's no reason to think it would be less effective. And um, maybe if she can get it somewhere where she's familiar with the people who are giving it, like her pediatrician's office, maybe that'll help. Um, but uh, yeah, it's pretty common for, for young children and teens to, to have some panic when getting vaccines. Some adults have that too. And, <laughs> yes. and thank you very much. I appreciate it. Matt in Santa Monica, you're on Air Talk with Dr. Annabelle de St. Maurice of UCLA. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I'm going to try to make this as brief as I can. I received the first Pfizer vaccination and suffered severe uh, myocarditis from that. I was rushed to the hospital and um, they thought, because this was back in March, that I was having a heart attack. And for three weeks, I suffered from shortness of breath, um, uh, heart palpitations, dizziness. And I uh, worked for the school district and they are mandating that I be fully vaccinated um, or else I'm going to lose my job. And I even had my cardiologist send a letter in to the school district saying he cannot get a second vaccination. And they are doing no medical exemptions or religious exemptions. And so I'm not anti-vax. I just want to be healthy. Is it possible that I could take a J&J vaccination instead of a second Pfizer and I would be okay. I don't know if I'm allergic to the polyethylene glycol or something that's in it, but in order to keep my job, this is something that I'm going to have to do, which is yeah. unfor- uh, unfortunate. So. Yeah, tough situation for you to be in, Matt, and what a terrible experience to go through. That had to be not just extremely uncomfortable, but frightening when you went when you went through that. Dr. de St. Maurice, what advice do you have from that? Yeah, and I'm really sorry to hear that, Matt. Um, you know, it is really rare, but I'm glad that it seems like, you know, you've recovered now. Um, the the myocarditis has really only been seen with the messenger RNA vaccines, and it's more common with Moderna than Pfizer. But uh, I would talk to your doctor potentially about getting the J&J vaccine. You know, that one um, can be mixed with uh, the Pfizer, but I would talk to your doctor about it and your cardiologist about it. Um, but I, uh, am really sorry to hear you had that. All right, Matt, we wish you all the best and hope things work out with, with you being able to keep your employment as well. Ben in Pasadena says, why shouldn't we assume additional boosters will be necessary given immunity seems to wane six months after we receive a shot? Won't we basically need to keep getting shots every so often forever? This is the million dollar question. I think it's possible that we need to to get annual shots, both because of waning immunity and changes in the virus and mutations. But all of this really depends on what the circulation is like globally and how many people are vaccinated globally. So at this point, it's really hard to know. We do know that even with breakthrough infections, you know, as long as you're otherwise healthy and don't have a serious problem with your immune system, you're unlikely to to get sick and end up in the hospital. 
Andrew in Santa Monica emailed us at atcomments at kpcc.org. I'm vaccinated, have no problem with getting a booster, but when are we going to start talking about removing masks when in public? What metric is being used to determine when mask mandates are revoked and we can go back to normal life? I would just add an addendum, Andrew, that, you know, at, at a lot of these large gatherings where masks are required in Los Angeles, um, People have generally taken to not wearing them. You'll see them on the concourse mm-hmm. areas of stadiums, perhaps uh, people going to and from. But when they're in their seats, and if you look on television, you see this as well. I was at the Ram game last Sunday, and very few people were were wearing them when seated, even though that was a requirement that that be done. Dr. D. St. Maurice, your, your thoughts generally about you know when the mask mandate should fall? I think this is a tough question to answer. I, I think it really should happen based off of rates of cases um, in the hospital um, and the the number of deaths that we're seeing and the vaccine rates. I think we still have, you know, as you said, you know, 34% of people who are eligible for a vaccine now are still unvaccinated. And that includes our children five to 11. So I think we still need to to see a higher rate of people being vaccinated um, and uh, drop in cases. I I wouldn't want to change anything, especially with the holidays coming around, uh, because as you remember last year, um, after Thanksgiving, we started to see a really dramatic increase in cases. Kathy and Downey says, um, I received a J&J shot and and recently got the booster of J&J because uh, my body can't handle the mRNA vaccines. I'm wondering why the mRNAs are touted so much over the J&J and other traditional vaccines, given that after the second shot, J&J shows uh, it's as effective as mRNA vaccines. Yeah, I think, you know, the J&J was really a a great effort to try and make a single dose vaccine. And it was demonstrated that, you know, over time that the vaccine really had decreased efficacy going down to like 70%. Um, And in the mix and match study, which was pretty small, but a study out of the NIH, they found that those who had a second dose of one of the mRNA vaccines, instead of a second dose of J&J had a little bit higher antibody titers. But with that said, you know, if you get two doses of J&J, you're still very much more protected than if you had a single dose and then very much more protected than if you didn't have a vaccine at all. So I, I think any vaccine that you get is better than none. Robin in Sun Valley emailed us, a friend who's not supportive of vaccines told me most of the transmission of SARS-CoV-2 is coming from vaccinated people and not the unvaccinated. Is this true? So we know that vaccinated people are still getting infected less frequently than unvaccinated people and that vaccinated people will shed virus less long than unvaccinated people. So I, I don't think that's true. Um, you know, we will see more cases in vaccinated people just as more vaccinated people or more people become vaccinated. Yeah, the issue would be per capita, not right. just raw number of cases because not the same numbers in each group. So um, so that would be a little misleading if even if that were true. And I, I don't know whether that's true in raw numbers. There are more vaccinated people with breakthrough cases than unvaccinated getting covid. But but again, most people are vaccinated. So you, that that 
uh, tilts the numbers right there. Dr. St. Maurice, thank you as always. It's a pleasure to have you with us. We appreciate what you and your colleagues at UCLA Mattel and the other UCLA medical centers are providing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Larry. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.